day. And so we can start looking at the list in verse 8. And um, first, let's kind of get the overarching picture of verse 8. Verse 8 lists eight things. And it says we're supposed to do something with those eight things. What are we supposed to do with those eight things? Okay, meditate or think about, contemplate these eight things. And so um, with that in mind, let's try to unpack them a little bit. And the first group of things we're supposed to think about are things that are true. And the reason that truth is so important is because truth is founded on the very character of God. Our Lord is the Lord of truth. In fact, he is himself truth. And so Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so God's very nature and character are true, and he's revealed his truth to us in his word, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to guide us into all truth. And because of this, in our thoughts, we need to focus on the truth. Because in our thoughts, it's easy for us to try to spin or shape or deny truth if that truth makes us uncomfortable or if that truth is inconvenient for us. And so we need to avoid the temptation to do that in our thoughts. We need to focus on the plain, unvarnished truth, unembellished, and then we need to know that the great God of truth who loves us, even the most difficult truths, if we hold faithful to those things in our, in our thoughts, those truths are going to serve us much better in the long run than the most pleasant and appealing and convenient lies that we can tell ourselves. Now next in Philippians 4.8, we can notice that we're supposed to focus on those things that are noble or honorable. And this is also rooted in the very character of God. For example, in Revelation 4.11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you, your will, they exist and were created. And when it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, that word honor is the same word that's uh, noble, here in Philippians 4.8. And God is noble, he is honorable, he is worthy of all honor. And so as we think of those things that are honorable, we think of those things that are in harmony with that particular attribute of God. And so we shouldn't be distracted by things around us that are base or dishonorable. And instead, we can focus on things that reflect the glory of the one who created all things and sustained all things and has redeemed the world through Jesus Christ and has made us for the praise of the glory of his grace. And then Philippians 4.8 goes on to talk about those things that are just. 
And in the New Testament, this particular word is often translated either just or righteous. And this is also rooted in the character of God. For example, Revelation 15.3 says that someday the redeemed are going to sing, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. And so, we're supposed to reflect on what is just because God is just. He is righteous. And we can share in His righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And so in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And when we have righteousness and just there, it's the same word that's used in Philippians 4.8. So God's justice is revealed for us in Jesus Christ, both in the fact that Jesus Christ lived a life of perfect righteousness and so showed us what perfect righteousness looks like in himself, but also he reveals God's righteousness and justice in the sense that uh, justice is served as God's righteous requirements for punishment for sin are visited upon Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so it says, so that God might be just and the justifier of those who have their faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we're thinking about things that are just, we're thinking about things that are in harmony with God's righteous character and things that are made right with God through what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And as we're then focusing on things that are just, among other things, that means we don't need to fret ourselves because of evildoers. We don't have to focus on injustice. We don't have to focus on evil. We're able to focus on what is right instead. Um, much less do we want to be plotting to do evil ourselves, but being thinking, be thinking about how we can do what is right. And so we should contemplate the righteousness of Jesus Christ and seek how the righteousness that he has imparted to us through um, reconciliation with him can be, or rather that he's imputed to us through faith, should be imparted through the Holy Spirit working in our lives to make us more and more like him as we're being conformed to his image from glory to glory. The fourth thing that Philippians 4.8 encourages us to meditate on or think about are things that are pure. And this is a word that's used a number of times in the New Testament to refer to sexual purity. And it's also used then metaphorically to refer to spiritual faithfulness to God. For example, in 2 Corinthians 11.2, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For I am jealous for you with, a godly, with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a pure or chaste virgin to Christ. And so it's talking about sexual purity and using that as a picture also of being faithful in our relationship to Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3, chapter 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, we're told, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him 
purifies himself just as he is pure. And so we need to make a diligent effort not to give our thoughts over to lust and impurity. And this is a challenge in a world that is overflowing with impurity. It's hard for us not to turn on the television or not to surf the internet and be assaulted with images of impurity. And we need to continually guard our eyes and we need to strive to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The fifth group of things we're supposed to think about are those things that are lovely. And this happens to be the only place in the entire New Testament that this particular Greek word is used. But in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, it's used to describe Queen Esther as she's putting on her best clothing and she's getting ready to go in and see King Ahasuerus as she is risking her life to plead for the lives of her people. Because she's going in without permission, and if the king doesn't extend his grace to her, she's going to be executed. But she's taking the risk, and so she makes herself as attractive as possible and goes in to see the king. In a world that was created good, but has been broken by the fall, is now in bondage to decay, but is eagerly awaiting redemption, we see flashes, glimpses of things that are lovely. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, describes our current situation. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs, until, birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And so in the darkness of this present age, we can see flashes of the beauty of God's creation, and we can anticipate the time when that creation is going to be fully restored to its original loveliness as God completes his redemption of the world and his redemption of us. Well, back in Philippians 4.8, another group of things we're supposed to think about are those things that are of good report. And this is the second word in this particular passage that is only used once in the entire New Testament. But it's a fairly simple construction, and it means well-spoken. Uh, we're surrounded in our world by trash talk. If you, for example, um, 
go on the internet and you read a news story and there's a comment section after the news story and you start reading the comments, it's amazing what type of vile things people will say to each other as they're commenting on the news. The world is full of trash talk. And so we need to be careful not to fill our minds with trash talk. We need to instead focus on those things about which good things can be said. Things like the glory of God, his work in the lives of believers, and his plan for this world when he's going to bring it to perfect glory. Seventh thing we're supposed to think about is anything that is virtuous. And the term is applied to God in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's work of redemption is the greatest revelation of his character, of his love, of his glory. And so the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light reflecting on the character of God who did for us as the safest place to have our thoughts dwell. And then in Philippians 4.8, the eighth thing that we're supposed to think about is anything that is praiseworthy. The terms applied to our faith, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, where it says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to be praiseworthy, Honor and honorable and glorious at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, as we contemplate the faith that we share with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ throughout history and around the world who have remained faithful to him in the midst of trial, we are encouraged in our own faith to stand strong in trial. And that is virtuous. And we can think about that now, when you go to a place like Myers, you might have a couple of different sections on your grocery list. You might have one section where it's, you know, what you're going to get in the grocery section, and you have another section of your list of stuff you're going to get in the hardware section. And as we're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, our grocery list here is kind of divided into two sections as well. And so, first we have these eight things we're supposed to think about, and then we move on to verse 9, and we have four things that we're supposed to do. And so it says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. And so the first thing that we're supposed to do are the things that we have learned. For example, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says to us, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so one of the things we've learned is to find rest in Jesus Christ. We don't seek to earn our way into heaven by working and working and working, trying to do enough good works to gain God's favor. In order to get there, we know that we cannot achieve reconciliation to God through our own hard work. And so instead, we rest 
in the completed, the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have learned to rest upon him for salvation. That's one of the things that we've learned, one of the things we can do, rest in Jesus Christ. Second thing are things we received. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declared to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which, ye are, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word I, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ rose again the third day. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have received. And we do the gospel by continuing to trust in him and in him alone. Third group of things we're to do are things we've heard. For example, 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Because we are united with, by faith in Jesus Christ into one body, and because God himself is love, we're called to love one another. That's one of the things that we're exhorted to do that we've heard to care for each other, to build each other up, to love one another. And finally, Paul tells us to do the things we've seen in him. And so we have this person who was Saul, the murderer, Saul, the persecutor of the church, who meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and becomes Paul, the great apostle of Jesus Christ, a man whose life is transformed. And because of his conversion and his subsequent conduct, these things that are recorded for us in the Scripture, we have a powerful testimony of God's work in the lives of a person. And a short summary of some of what Paul endured for the sake of the gospel can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 to 28. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. And so the life of the Apostle Paul is a powerful testimony 
to us, a powerful example to us of unremitting faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And we're encouraged to follow that example. And if we think about these things on this list that Paul has told us to think about, if we do the things on this list that Paul has told us to do, what kind of things can we expect? The final words of Philippians 4.9 say, the God of peace will be with you. You ever struggle with anxiety? Wake up in the middle of the night and stare at the ceiling and think about something that's up ahead and, and worry about it and wonder how you're going to get through it? I do that sometimes. According to Philippians 4, 8 and 9, I need to adjust my thinker and I need to adjust my doer. I need to be thinking about things that are true and noble, just, pure, lovely, reputable, virtuous, and praiseworthy. I need to be doing things that are in harmony with the gospel of Jesus Christ which I have received and in harmony with the example of godly people whom I have observed. And when I think and act in this way, then I'm going to experience the presence of God in my life and he's going to be granting me his peace. And so with those things in mind, we can turn our attention to the Lord's Supper today. And the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to implement the things we've been learning today. We can contemplate the truth of the gospel. Jesus' body broken for us. His blood shed for us. We can think about the honor that Jesus Christ deserves because of his sacrifice on our behalf. We can think about his righteousness fulfilling God's perfect righteous standards on our behalf, justifying us as he bears the penalty that we deserve. We can think about his purity and his desire to present us unto himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and without blemish in him. We can think of his loveliness, both the beauty of his original creation, the beauty of his redemption, and the beauty of creation as it will someday be gloriously restored in him. We can think of his good report that he lived a life that when truly spoken of, you can only say good things about it. We can think of his virtue as his work of redemption fully reveals the depths of his love and his grace. And we can think of how he is worthy of praise since he has delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us into his glorious kingdom. And having learned and received and heard these things, having seen his glorious example, we can reconsecrate ourselves to living in a way that's pleasing to him. 
And so let's take some time right now to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper by thinking on these things.